Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Big Blue Insider is on. News Radio 630 WLAP and the iHeartRadio app. To interact with the show, call us at 859-280-2287. That's 859-280-CATS. Or you can tweet us at BigBlueInsider1. Now, here's Dick Gabriel. Welcome back. Hour number two of our program. And we've talked a lot in hour number one about, of course, UK basketball and scheduling and weather and COVID, you name it. Uh, and a lot of games have been lost to the weather and to a lot of things. And, in fact, uh, University of North Florida has had to cancel its next two games. They were scheduled to play the Knights of Bellarmine down in Jacksonville. So uh, Bellarmine next up uh, against Liberty on the 26th. That's a Friday. And the radio voice of Bellarmine joins us. Longtime friend of mine, though we haven't chatted in quite a while. A guy who uh, once upon a time was on the UK network, has worked hundreds and hundreds of Sweet 16 games through the years. Doug Ormay joins us. How are you, young man? Well, I'm glad you said young. I mean, now I've started rattling off all of that. I've started to feel really old all of a sudden. Well, you started off as a young boy in the business. That's so. right. I was, I was only 11 when That's I began. Right. Right. That's exactly right. Uh, <laughs> well, I want to ask you about your time at UK and about high schools and all, but i got to ask you as well. And, I, and, you know, growing up in Louisville as I did, and I loved college basketball, and I won't go deeply into this, but the first college game I ever got to attend – was Bellarmine College because when Alex Groza was the coach, the former Kentucky Wildcat, his son was in my class at St. Albert, and so we got tickets through dad, through his dad, and my Cub Scout group, we went to a Bellarmine game, and they were playing this team with weird striped uniforms and a weird name called Transylvania. So I have great memories of that. And then I, I got the why. Well, you know, some of the only tickets we could get for L games, L used to play Bellarmine back in the day. Uh, sure. and, and they may again at some point. But so I got to ask you, you know, you, you've been associated with Bellarmine for quite some time, Doug. They make the jump to Division One. How excited were you? Well, you, initially you, you start to think and say, well, you know, should they really be doing this? Is is it better to kind of you know stay where you are? You're you're you'd be a big fish, you know, in in a smaller pond. You're a national contender. Uh, they've been in the NCAA tournament year after year after year after year, and not only in it, but a chance to win. In fact, did win in 2011. Yeah. Uh, my my first year, 2017. I thought they might win. Uh, they got to. Uh, the national semifinals and lost to Fairmont State and uh, Northwest Missouri State won the championship, the D2 championship that season. And quite honestly, I'm not sure Bellarmine could have won that particular game. But heck, it's only one, it's one game. You know, you're in there in the uh, in the finals. So that was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, and I thought they had a chance then. 
came back the next year, got beat in the NCAAs uh, in the, uh, I guess it was the semis up at Ferris State, lost to Finley, and then uh, came back the following year, and I thought for sure was going to be in the Elite Eight, uh, and lost, blew a halftime lead up 16 against bitter rival Southern Indiana on a neutral court at Lewis University, and Southern, to their credit, uh, just played a fabulous second half. It was one of those things, Dick, you've seen it a million times, the avalanche ball just starts rolling yeah. downhill. We could have put nine guys out there <laughs> and would not have stopped Southern Indiana from scoring, and it was just uh, an incredibly disappointing moment for Bellarmine at that point. And then, of course, last year the thing, the whole thing was shut down. Uh, and right. this year, you know, <laughs> it, you, you go into to the Division One, and and you're not really sure. And then the more you start to see the games and to see how they're competing you start to think, hey, they can do this, and they can do it. They open up with Duke, down in Durham. Did you get to make that trip, or was the ACC saying no no visiting radio? Yeah, there was no visiting radio. In oh. fact, we've been, we can talk about this in a minute if, if you'd like. Uh, we went to one road game this year, and that was only because I think it was kind of scheduled almost like we would, when we were kids, you know, you call up the guys on the next block and say, hey, can you meet for an hour or two and play over at yeah. so-and-so gym? You know, it was kind of arranged like that. So we actually, and for obvious television reasons, they couldn't get the TV uh, squared away in time. So we did go to Notre Dame and, and, and did that game. But, uh, you know, Duke we did from uh, a local uh, studio here. Okay. We did a few games from the studio. And the last few games we've actually done from the basement of my home. <laughs> for you. <laughs> so, which, which is nice, uh, but in one way, but in, in another way, as you know, when you're not oh, yeah. there, it's, it's oh, much yeah. more difficult. Doug, tell me a little bit about Scotty Davenport. I've uh, had the chance to meet him through some radio connections, but this is a guy that's had success at this program, not just recently um, and, and not just uh, the last few years. Tell me about what makes him and his team so successful. Well, he got the position. Uh, he left Louisville as an assistant right after Louisville's Final Four run in 2005. And Bellarmine's program was pretty far down in the, in the ranks at this point. Had to really build it up. Took him about two or three years to do that. And, but like I said, then went on this great run. And for the last, I guess, dozen years was in the NCAA tournament. And what makes him... Uh, so special, I guess, as a coach is, is he gets guys to buy in to the way he wants to play, which is sharing the ball, uh, motion offense, passing. Everybody plays the same way, whether you're a guard, a forward, or a center. It's, uh, it, and it's a completely supportive. I mean, he works the players extremely hard. As he likes to say, you know, you will not be worked harder than, than we will work you here, but you will not be supported any better than maybe other, other than your parents. I mean, he, he totally uh, supports them. Again, it's tough on them, but it's fair with them. And as a player, to me, that would be the only thing. You know, be the first one to tell me when I'm doing it wrong, but also then be the first one to tell me when I'm doing it right. And they all seem to really be – you know, very much gung-ho and involved in, in the system 
and they actually recruit the players. I mean, they, they're the best recruiting sure. tools that, that the program can have is, is, is the current, is the current roster. So, uh, but, but he just has a way of, of gravitating towards, you know, younger people and getting them to, you know, appreciate the style of play and, and to buy in and to do the things needed to do to win. And, and it's, uh, everybody thinks they're just a great offensive team that just passes and shoots well, but, uh, they are, they are tough and they, uh, they will defend. They'll play that, uh, that pack line defense. Oh yeah. Uh, kind of, as I call it, like the poor man's Virginia, they don't have the athletes that, that Virginia has to play it, but, uh, play it like that the same way Liberty plays, to be honest about it. Uh, and he just is really good about – he recruits in this area, recruits Kentucky, recruits uh, – if you don't know where a player's from, you might well just take a guess and say either Kentucky, Evansville, or Cincinnati. Right, right. Because you will get – he will get guys within that radius and, and not just guys who are good players, but guys who are good people, good students, and – you know, it's worked. I mean, and he always wondered if it would work at, at the next level, at the D1 level. Never really had the chance, and now he's gotten this chance. And 18 games in, you know, they're 13 and five, have yeah. won 10 in a row, and uh, have won uh, seven out of nine on the road. The only two games they lost on the road were to Duke and to, to Notre Dame. So. Yeah, I would have to say it's working at this point. Not bad. Well, you know, and he learned a lot, I'm sure, and was part of that, that UofL team that made a run and then won a state title at uh, Ballard. So the guy knows how to X and O. And that, that takes me to uh, the Sweet 16. You have, have, I don't know how your job now will affect that. And if there will be a Sweet 16, let's hope so. Talking about the high schools. But you have been a part of so many of those, Doug. And you're a transplant. You're from New Jersey, I believe. But from where you sit and where you have sat through the years, uh, could you describe just what what? It's an easy question, but a difficult answer. What makes that event so special, the Sweet Sixteen? To me, it's only it always boils down to like it's the a large family reunion. You you see people there that you only see maybe once, twice a year, and the one time or the two times is at either the boys or the girls state tournaments and you've met people from other parts of the state. You know, a guy from Litchfield has a seat at the game, and his, his seatmate is a guy from Middlesbrough, yeah. and they've just kind of met over the years, and they come back and they exchange contact information. To me, it's like that. It's a family reunion, and it's a, a gathering of, uh, of the state, other than the Kentucky Derby, I guess, and that's become such an inter- international, uh, national, international event. Uh, not stri- strictly a you know a, a border to border Kentucky event. To me, the Sweet Sixteen is is the border to border Kentucky event where we all kind of come together there for uh, a week, two week period, and, and just have a lot of fun and and memories and reminiscing. And uh, it, it, I'll never forget a few years ago, uh, we were there at the game doing the games, and I look over, and there, and I look to the right, and there is Jack Givens. And there is Vince Taylor, oh. and there's James Lee. Oh my! So then you have Brian Station to Tate's Creek to Henry Clay. Yeah, and, yeah. And, it, and it shows those guys coming back. And again, there was maybe some halftime promotional type thing to get to, uh, that. That's all well and fine right. to get them maybe to come to the game. 
but the point is they were at the game. Yes. Uh, they, they supported the event. And I guess in a large, in some, in most cases, maybe they all three played. You have to go back through the record. Played in the event, so that, that's a uh, that that to me is is a neat thing. King Kelly Coleman was there. Oh, yeah. Came back after years and years and years of not being there. Uh, came back several years ago to see the game. So you know that's where you can kind of draw, and you have to kind of not beat them over the head. I mean, you know how it is with with younger people. You don't want to beat them over the head with stuff. But they, you need to kind of appreciate, you know, people that have come before you and have been a part of such a great event. Uh, J.R. Van Hoos is back there all the time. Right. Uh, was one of the great stars in the, in the Sweet 16. I, I've seen Darren Feldhouse, I guess, a time or two sure, there. Yeah. And I think people would, would like to be there who maybe are involved in coaching in college themselves and can't be there yeah. uh, at that time. So. Uh, it, it, to me, it's just like a, a great gathering of the state sports fans, basketball fans in particular, yeah. and uh, kind of a, a reunion type thing. Doug, is the plan for the near future for the Knights to stay at uh, Freedom Hall? I, I'm sure fans love that it's back, but is that the uh, the end-all, be-all with Bellarmine? I'm not sure exactly if they've signed a lengthy contract you know, with the fairgrounds and Freedom Hall. I'm not sure kind of where that stands, but I think they're going to be there for the foreseeable future. Now, you know, is that two years, four years, five years? I mean, I don't know. I think once we get past the pandemic, uh, I think Bellarmine will draw, uh, has the potential to draw, you know, a significant number of fans. Now, I don't know if that means 18,000 every night, uh, but I think uh, if you're winning, and uh, you're playing in the, the brand of ball that they play, the style of play that people are used to, um, you know, I, I think it can be a, a successful spot for them. You know, if you put people in that, in that lower bowl uh, and fill that up at a decent capacity, I mean, you could have uh, – you get a pretty good environment there. Doug Ormay is a sportscaster who has done it all. He's covered so much and now is the radio voice of the Bellarmine Knights. And before I let you go, what years did you were the sidelines guy for a while, as I am, uh, for Kentucky? What years were you on the U.K. network? I want to congratulate you for finally beating Florida. Oh, thank uh, you. <laughs> that, that, was, that was well done because my, one of my years was the, uh, a game that Kentucky won against Florida uh, miserable, cold, damp, oh, uh, yeah. dark yeah. November day. Uh, Ricky Natiel was a wide receiver for Florida. Yes. Uh, at that, he went, went with the Broncos uh, uh, a few years later, and uh, and Kentucky won the game. I think it was like thirteen to ten or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And uh, and, and it was and it was a. Uh, I was there from eighty six through eighty eight. Okay. Uh, when Coach Claiborne was there, saw some great running backs, some great players. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, you saw that game that uh, uh, where Florida fumbled, I think, as I recall, toward the end, and Kentucky fell on it. Is that how that game yeah, ended? Yeah, yeah, Tony, Tony Mays. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, near and dear to my heart since I did some games of his when he was in high school. Um, had a tremendous day that day against Florida. Uh, stripped Natiel after he caught a pass and then yeah. uh, recovered the fumble. So, yeah, that, those were years where – uh, of course, the schedule was different. The league was different, and Kentucky played Florida late yep. uh, in, in the season. Then, and Kentucky, when I was there, Kentucky had these seasons of like five, five and one, yes. five and six. Had some good, had some pretty good teams, but could never 
get past those big, you know, power SEC yeah. teams. But uh, they had to play LSU and play Georgia and could never. Uh, they did beat Georgia once. I remember that. Uh, Alfred Rawls yep. uh, played running back for Kentucky. Yep. Uh, had a big game that that particular day. Uh, they had a chance to upset Alabama one year, and uh, and couldn't do it uh, at uh, at Commonwealth or I guess Kroger Field now. But yeah, you know, Mark Higgs was there. Mark Logan, Bill Ransdell was quarterback. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they had, those weren't bad teams. No, no, uh, they had. A... Uh, Steady stream of running backs who wound up in the National Football League. But like Absolutely. you said, they just couldn't quit. You know, this day and age, 5-5-1 five, five and one and a pulse gets you into a bowl game. But back then, there right. just weren't as many. So, yeah, that's where the season ended. Well, Doug, it's great talking to you again. And tell Scotty Davenport, I said, uh, congratulations. He's been on our show multiple times. And Pam Stackhouse, as you well know, does is deputy director of operations there and does color on the women's radio games and she's a former uk person and a great person tell her i said hello we will do that thanks doug stay safe buddy take care good Good talking to you doug ormay of the bellerman knights radio voice and uh formerly with the uk network and has done a ton of sweet 16 games high school games that is maybe someday bellerman gets to the sweet 16 we're back in a minute by the way part of the a sun here on 630 WLAP. This is the home of the Wildcats. 630 WLAP. Let's go back to the phones. Line one, Ken has been waiting. How you doing, Ken? Hey, uh, first-time caller. Good deal. Uh, probably a little bit nervous. Right. <laughs> but, Me too. Uh, um, hey, uh, I coached years ago, but I've kind of got out and retired from it. Um, I, I obviously follow the Cats for a long time. And uh, it's been pretty uh, dismal this year, to say the least. You know how Cal has always had, you know, obviously a dominant guard that when it gets down to crunch time, that Mm -hmm. four-minute and under uh, point in the game where uh, they can create for other people. Um, Obviously, they've just skimmed past these these last couple of games. And obviously there for a while, I think everyone was going on about the under four minutes. I just had my theory, just like everyone has. We got like a, a million coaches in the state, right? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, just out of curiosity, just you, you could tell me right or wrong and different. Um, if you put uh, Allen down on the baseline in the corner, he seems like the type of player when he tries, when Cal has him in there, he tries to roll off the, you know, the screens. He obviously is not that effective, but. He seems to be one more where, you know, if he spots up, uh, he's going to draw a defender. Mm-hmm. Um, takes a little bit of takes, – takes the crowd out of the middle a little bit. Um, but if you line up, uh, say, Boston and Mintz with Saar, who, again, he's not a back-to-the-basket kind of guy. I think you all have said that uh, many times on your program. Um, uh, if he does a pick-and-pop or a slip screen mm-hmm. or a pick-and-roll with one of those two and you – slide the other one over to the other wing. And then, of course, under four minutes, you know, you, that, that's not a really good defensive team. You obviously yeah. have to have Jackson in there, yeah. you know. And, yeah. But you put him on the short corner on the opposite side, so if one of them gets away and goes downhill toward the rim on that pick-and-pop or slip screen, then you got Allen on one side, you got Jackson on the alley-oop on the other, and that's your, pretty much your offense yeah. on one side. Yeah. Ken, I'm uh, up against a break. Point? That sounds good. We'll talk about it on the other side of the news break. 
and I appreciate you uh, joining us, and don't be a stranger. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. And we'll talk about Ken's idea and other things when we come back. It's the Big Blue Insider, 630 WLAP. You're listening to Big Blue Insider with Dick Gabriel on News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Welcome back to 802-287-800-606-4263. You can tweet us at Big Blue Insider 1. We just got done talking to Ken, a former basketball coach, about what might happen if certain people played at certain times and certain ways. And he brought up Dante Allen, who was not a factor last night. In fact, he only played two and a half minutes and did not attempt a shot. Dante has kind of melted away of late. They didn't really need him until uh in the second until the second half because they were just rolling in the first you know and that's that's one of the other factors i think that is a part of this bizarre season for john calipari and he's talked about it a little while uh this year because you know there's obviously been the human cry for dante allen it's kind of died off a little bit but and a lot of that's because shots are going down you know when everybody's missing the one thing everybody is thinking, who's everybody who's not named John Calipari, is you got a guy on your bench, the one thing he can do, the one thing we know he can do pretty well is shoot it. Now, does he do other things really well? Well, not really. But when everybody else is missing shots, it seems like there's clearly more of a pronounced need for a Dante Allen and that you can absorb the shortcomings the lack of defense, the lack of ball handling, the lack of, uh, at this point in his career, making other people better. That's not his role. That's not been his role, and he will learn to do that. But when other people are making shots, as they have over the last three or four games, it's it's not as pronounced a need, of course, for Dante Allen. But getting back to what Ken said, you know, he suggested certain plays and, and bringing – people off the baseline and things like that. I can't argue with any of that. He was a, He's the guy who used to be a coach. Um, the issue is having those three guys on the floor at the same time. And, you know, Lance Ware, Billy, plays two minutes. When for a while there, it looked like he was the guy who was going to be a presence inside. But I think some of this, too, is the emergence. Don't you think of Isaiah Jackson, as you mentioned, uh, clearly – the best NBA prospect, at least right now, on this team. And, and, and Davion Mintz playing so much better now. And, and now Brandon Boston hitting shots. Yeah, I was going to say, in spurts, Brandon yeah. Boston as well. You know, there was such an emphasis on those freshmen to begin the year. And when they weren't making any shots, when they weren't a three-point threat, yeah. just the simple threat of Dante Allen being in the game could space the floor. And, I, and that's where Ken was getting at a little bit, having him just in the corner. Yeah. Uh, on a little uh, pick and roll and being able to throw out to him. But you're right. You've seen some guys play better. Uh, Davion Mintz has just been clutch when it comes to his yep. shot making. And uh, Isaiah Jackson has just been a force inside. I was a little surprised to see Olivier Saar and Isaiah Jackson both start at the same time. But don't get me, don't get me started on, <laughs> on Lance Ware, Dick. I mean, he didn't play in the first half. If we're supposed to follow Cal logic... That means that you're not allowed to play in the second half. Yeah. He did get some. And then press conference, Cal said rules are meant to be broken. <laughs> Lance Ware got two minutes in the second half. I, I, that, that, if you don't play in the first half stuff, th- that is so subjective. That's so arbitrary. You know, uh, I, I mean, if the situation doesn't call for that, 
you know, they were rolling in the first half. So if you didn't see the need for Lance Ware, well, the lead, the need may well, and it did present itself in the second half. Yeah, that I'm like you. That one drives me nuts as well. So um, anyway, as long as they keep there, there, I always say there's nothing that made shots uh, can't forgive. You know, no matter what's going on, if the ball's going in the basket, everybody at least feels better. The baseline is everybody feels better about what's going on. And you know what? Kind of looking back, you could really point to Big Blue Nation as the reason why Dante Allen started a a couple of those games. Probably. I mean, it was just, it was a matter of Cal not answering the the questions right in the press conference and and the fans just being upset with the shooting percentage. It was was almost Greg Schiano-esque at Tennessee. Well, I I will say this too, though, is I don't believe that coaches should respond in any way in terms of the moves they make to what the fans are clamoring for. I don't buy If I were a coach, I wouldn't do it. I, what I buy into is who, whichever coach said, and a lot of coaches have quoted it, you know, if I start listening to what the fans are saying, pretty soon I'm going to be sitting up in the stands with them. And you'll be going for every fourth down and every onside kick <laughs> That's right. and every single one of those yeah. plays that would get me. Although fired. I love, speaking of, of, of going for it on fourth down, I love that that research that people have done. And there, there's a, a coach out there. I, I don't know if it's a small college guy or a high school. Some guy has become famous, not at the at the D1 power school level, certainly not the NFL, uh, going forward on fourth down every time. I think every it's time. the high school coach in Texas. I think you're right about that. And he's very successful. And he has like 12 different onside kicks, so you just never know what's coming. He's got three different kickers lined up on the yeah, ball. Yeah, but I, but I like it's it's the going forward on fourth down thing. You know, and in this day of metrics, you know, and research and this and that, he's done the math. And going forward on fourth down pays off. I can't say I can't say he does it every time. I got to think that I'm fourth and 27 because of penalties or whatever they might punt it away but but i just find that really intriguing you know analytics just more and more into sports and it almost makes me throw up thinking about the raise and analytics (sighs) and it's funny you bring that up i i just i was going to do that i was talking to a friend of mine who lives in the in florida and is a big bucks fan i don't know if he lives in tampa proper but but he's a big Bucks fan, lives in the area. And I hadn't talked to him in a while, and he, he said, man, how about our year? I said, oh, yeah, and I told him about you. And I said, oh, my gosh, I said, my producer has just been, you know, but we get to talking about the Rays, you know, and he was as upset as everybody else. But And I said, but, you know, there is that logic that the metrics that called for him coming out of the game, that's the science that helped not – individual or not totally but helped carry the rays to that point and so you could make the argument this guy was doing the same thing he's done all year but we both agreed this look this was the last game for this guy to pitch last so, game go you got to take the you shot. just gotta let him go yeah, yeah. I, and i also remember the day after uh trying to defend the decision uh between tears on the show the next day <laughs> Trying to say the numbers all added up. The computer would have made that. Now, you weren't really cranking out tears, were you? No, no. Not after the year <laughs> I've had. No, you, you you really can't. I mean, it's what, what a year for, for that area. You know, and every once in a while you'd see that um, some city celebrating 
two different you know los angeles or it's, it's usually either la or new york something like that but uh boston, it's pretty cool as, much as they've won right pardon me boston as much as they've i won was the just about to say boston decades. yeah that could happen as well so uh anyhow uh i did want to mention the fact that that one of the key moments in the game and again it, it's really difficult for announcers to do games from their living room like doug had to do uh when bellerman played duke i realize that it's, it's there's just you I can't imagine, and I was going to have to do one of the baseball games this weekend, and Darren was going to do the other two from the studio via TV, and it was going to be a nightmare because baseball, you you can you can kind of fake it with with football and basketball. Baseball was going to be, it was just going to be awful, and as it turned out, the games were canceled anyway. We were I was not going to be allowed to travel to do radio to North Carolina because the ACC is not allowing that unless the radio person is with the team itself, and we are not. You know, we would have been sort of independent. In other words, not part of their testing, not part of their COVID protocols and all that, which I understand because that's expensive. And I could have gotten myself tested uh, and shown them that I was uh, COVID negative, but it wouldn't have mattered per their protocol. So anyway – um, when the Keon Brooks play happened, I thought that's oh, it. You gross. know, I thought that is that's the dagger, right? But they called a charge, and there was very little discussion on air about it. And I don't know if Calipari went nuts or not. But as we all know, if you bang into somebody whose feet are within the broken circle, it's not a charge. So defenders try their best to be outside. And from when you tell me, Billy, and I think I only saw two replays. I don't know if you were paying attention, if you saw it the same way. It looked to me as though when Keon Brooks began his move to the basket, that kid, the defender's feet were within the broken circle. When the contact occurred, that kid, the defender, had successfully left the broken circle area and had set up shop outside and absorbed the charge. So I turned to Doug Hampton, our buddy who is, uh, uh, was a veteran high school official, best high school ref I ever saw. His two sons are both D1 referees. And he was sort of back and forth watching Brent working a game on another channel and then watching Kentucky. Uh, but he said, once the offensive player leaves his feet, he can't change directions, of course. But he said the defender's position has to be established before the offensive player leaves his feet. And I don't think it happened. I'd have to see it again, and I'll say it if I'm wrong. But that's how close it was. That was kind of a split-second deal. Were his feet down outside the circle when Keon Brooks left his feet. I don't believe that was the case. I now, th- what Doug also said is sometimes when they put that knee right in the chest, the call is going to be a charge if they correctly establish his position. And I get that. But I don't think he had established this kid, that kid had established his position. If that bucket had stood, that would have been a different ending. 
I mean, at least Kentucky won, right? Well, I thought it was the most exciting play of the game. Sure it was. And, and it was just, you know, has to be taken off the board. for. It was just, it was weak. I thought it was weak. And if there was any feet outside of the, that, out, that broken circle, it was just his tippy toes. I mean, when I think of a charge, I think you need to be an oak tree. You need to be yeah. ingrained and stopped in that position. Yeah. He no, was, his feet were out. His, his feet were definitely out and planted by the time Keon came down. But that, that's that's what got me, was, you know, was he established? And I don't think he was. Yeah, I, I don't either. Most exciting play of the game, oh. just wiped away. Oh, my god! And gosh. then not talked about. What a play. You know, and Keon has struggled a little bit. He had that big game not too long ago, and I think people have kind of done what they can to take him away. He was one for six. Missed a couple of threes, but he had nine rebounds, Billy. Five on the offensive glass, five assists, and four steals. He also had four turnovers, but four blocks. I'll take that from him any day. And, you know, I feel more comfortable with him with the ball at the, the corner or the high post more than anybody. You know, a, a, really? Anybody with some leadership on that team, a guy that's been there at least a year to yeah. be able to distribute the ball. You know, when they're moving that ball around and they get it to key on near the free throw line, I feel like the offense is in a good place. Yeah. He uh, he was worth waiting for. But, you know, it's the kind of thing where imagine what this season could have, would have, should have. But a, a team this young and inexperienced, what things might have been like had he not missed all that time with the injury. Well, I like to should have, would have, could have about the team last year. If Keon oh, sure. was really getting it together, I think he had a game winner near the end of it. Was it first oh, yeah. Florida? Florida, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, despite the, the drama with Ashton Hagens, I mean, the way Nick Richards had progressed and Emmanuel quickly was hitting shots. You know, that was, it. Le- you know, we're going to do this. They yeah. looked like a, a Final Four team. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> and, you know, and a lot of people, as I said, could have said, we would have won the championship. Well, yeah, maybe you would have. But I felt like that was – if there is such a thing as a typical John Calipari Kentucky team, you know, the young guys rounding into shape in February, getting hot in March, and being one of the best teams in the tournament, yeah, definitely. Oh, and, you know, speaking of Tennessee Saturday, I was at that game at Rupp Arena uh, right. to end the year with Jordan Fulkerson scoring a career high in his white headband. That was disgusting, that lead <laughs> that was blown by Kentucky that game. Just disgusting. <laughs> That was before the Florida game, I think. I think it was. Florida was on the road afterwards. It was. All right, when we come back, we'll take a look back at uh, Billy's bitterness when it comes to the World Series. Uh, We got to talk about this again? Well, yeah, because there's been a lot of talk about this. But, uh, of course, Blake Snell is no longer on your team, is he? No. No, but they got Chris Archer back. Yeah. Well, maybe you win another. Maybe you catch that lightning again in the bottle. But beating those deep-pocketed Dodgers, that's going to be tough. Really what we're going to talk about, though, is the NFL because uh, this quarterback situation, man, you know, if you follow the league, you've got your eye on what's going to happen with the Colts. you got a lot of Colts fans in this part of the world. We're back in a minute here on 630 WLAP. This is the home of the Wildcats, 630 WLAP. Thanks again to Keith Farmer, Doug Orme for joining us. Tomorrow night, Billy will be in the big chair, so 
He will talk more about Kentucky and Tennessee. Just mentioned last year's Tennessee game, so they'll look ahead. That game will be played unless snow makes the roof of the Thompson Bowling Arena cave in. They will play that game because the Wildcats, as our pal Tom Leach told us earlier today off air, they're already down there. Ordinarily, of course, they would have traveled in the afternoon on Friday, but they left early. And by the time we went on the air, they were practicing. And, of course, uh, Tom and Mike do not travel right now with the team. They work out of a studio. And, oh, and by the way, we were talking about earlier about trying to call games. Uh, and it just doesn't have the same feel when the announcers aren't there. And I don't know the, the, the challenges that they're facing in terms of the video that they're seeing. I suspect they're a little bit behind when it comes to – you know, where the video is processed and turned around and their audio is added and all that. I got to tell you, though, and it's not just because they're my boys. Tom and Mike do a tremendous job of staying with the action and really putting some excitement and enthusiasm into the game. It sounded last night like the guy calling the game you know, it was almost like an aside when somebody made a bucket. But again, I don't know. He might be seeing it a split second after we see it on our air and that kind of thing. So I don't know. It's just just a different feel. I don't know, Billy. Did you get a chance to to listen? I know you're obviously listening to the radio as well, but did you get a chance to uh, compare and contrast? I do. Yeah, I always listen to the radio broadcast because I always learn something from yeah. the radio broadcast. Mike Pratt is a good teacher, and I think it was in the Auburn game where. Uh, one of the players was able to set up in the post pretty easily, and Mike was disgusted. He was just like, "What's you can't let him set up in the paint that easy? I mean, come on. And, you know, it's the emotion and canter and, and some of the other stuff that those two guys bring. I'm always listening to the radio. Yeah, but they bring, they bring some real juice, which is missing from TV. Uh, you know, and I know, again, it's hard. I've, I've never done it. And I, I've tried to follow along, and I don't know what the challenges they're up against. But, uh, but anyhow, it's, uh, there, there will be, and Tom and Mike will get into it. And here's the other thing to remember. Mike Pratt still hates Tennessee. <laughs> Mike Pratt, of course, played back in the day when there was no Louisville game. And Jeff Pecoro talks about this a lot when we talk UKU about football because when he played, there was no UofL game. Tennessee was it. And Tennessee had jumped up trying to challenge Mike Pratt, Dan Issel, Mike Casey, those teams. And so it always represented, and it was the biggest home game of the year. I promise you that. And then in the early 80s when Dale Brown was having success, it was LSU because he had some success against Kentucky. The, the 78 National Championship team lost two games, Alabama and LSU. Lost to LSU in overtime. All five LSU starters had fouled out. LSU still won the game. UK fans began to hate LSU. Why? Well, because they were beating them. Mike Pratt wants to beat Tennessee. I, I did want to throw out a note, and I wish I'd done this earlier in the show. Uh, there will be a story, I think it's already online on Kentucky.com, about the fact that our friend Mr. Pecora will not be with the Reds Network this year it was a numbers game you know the tom brenneman moves on they add this person they move him around they get this guy here they put this guy there 
And Jeff had the opportunity to stay and do a few games, but decided against it. He is uh, going to do some more freelance work for Fox TV. He'll still work for the SEC network, for the UK network, uh, do some real estate work, that kind of stuff. So, But it's going to be odd. Jeff's been with the Reds network for almost 20 years, I think. So there, there will be a story out there. I think it's already, like I said, online and in the newspaper tomorrow. But uh, we've all been there, and uh, I know Jeff will still follow and root for the Reds. And we'll still talk some Reds baseball with him periodically here on the show. And when the U.K. women are back playing in the Coliseum, he and Christy Thomas will have the action. Just a question of when is that going to be? Because as we mentioned, tomorrow's game, which was supposed to be tonight's game and was going to be Saturday's game, it's off. So Kentucky, LSU, at least for now, is postponed, and I don't know that they'll make it up. So the Wildcats play South Carolina on Sunday. That'll do it. Please stay safe. Stay warm. More snow on the way. If it's not already on top of us, I'll have to open up the garage door and check it out. For Billy Rutledge, Dick Gabriel, that's it. Good night from the garage in Lexington. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.